Hello, if you don't know me, I'm James, and I'm going to be reading the Bible for us today. So if you don't have a Bible, put your hand up and one of the hospitality team will come around and hand you that. And if you do get one of those, it's the reading today is on page 780. It is Romans 1, 1 to 17. And so if you need help finding that, it's just after Acts. If you hit Corinthians, you've gone too far. At Providence, we also believe that the Bible is where God reveals himself to us and we want to know him. So that's why we read the Bible each week and to learn about him. So hopefully you found it. It's NIV version, so I'll start now. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ to all in Rome who were loved by God and called to be to his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, oh, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is, sorry, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now, at last, by God's will, that we may be opened, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the, righteousness, the righteous will live by faith. We're going through a series in Romans, a tapestry of grace. And this graphic is, uh, was designed by Georgina, was illustrated by her. Georgina is one of um, our artists here, and she's um, really talented. And I wanted um, her to submit this because when I was thinking through Romans and thinking through what Romans is about, uh, a tapestry of grace just made sense to me. A tapestry is, uh, you know, uh, an image woven into fabric. And I, I was thinking about how God has woven into the fabric of time um, grace. He's, he's done it in the timeline of, of history, and uh, as we look through the Bible, we can see grace at work, and we'll see that in Romans as well. And so we're going through this series uh, for the next, I don't even know, to be honest, 15, 16 weeks, and we're going to be unpacking all of Romans, so then afterwards, you guys will have a good uh, understanding of what Romans is about, and you'll be able to uh, hopefully grow in it. 
Uh, and so uh, I really love this graphic because when you think about uh, the image, you're, 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 seeing how, uh, you're seeing a picture of a, of a person, um, but you're also seeing the, uh, how we're not quite formed yet, in a sense. Yeah, and when we think about how God has worked through history and, and what humanity looks like, we can see that uh, God has worked through humanity to make us whole, and we see that in Jesus. You know, that's what we're going to really hope to get out of Romans as we go through it each week. Uh, I'm really excited to get into Romans. If you don't know anything about Romans, Romans is that book in the Bible that a lot of people, uh, including me, are afraid to preach from. It's uh, a really beefy book of the Bible. It's, it's very heavy in theology and the understanding of who God is and who we are before God. Um, but if you look at church history, if you've uh, done your studies a little bit, you'll know that there are people in history who were converted because they picked up the Bible and opened it up to Romans. Uh, some famous people that you might know, uh, St. Augustine in the 300s, he was one of the forefathers of, of the church today. Uh, he picked up Romans, he was living a, a crazy lifestyle, a wild lifestyle, and he picked up this Bible and he opened it up to, I think, later in Romans and talking about how he's called to repent and he repented. Uh, if you go uh, just even more recent, uh, if you think about people like William Tyndale, who's one of the reformers, or um, John Wesley, he's an English uh, guy who started revivals in England around the 1800s. It was Romans. They opened Romans and they were converted to, to know who God is and to live for Jesus. Uh, but my, one of my favorite stories is actually Martin Luther. Martin Luther, he's uh, the Protestant reformer in the 1500s. Uh, he was a Catholic monk until he read Romans. He read Romans chapter 1 and he couldn't get past it. This very passage that we're looking at today, he read it and he, he strolled with it day and night. You can read about this. He's written it down in places and about how Romans 1, he, uh, he wrestled with God and, and tried to understand this idea that uh, James just read for us, uh, the righteous will live by faith. What does that actually mean? And he struggled so much with it to the point where he denounced his Roman Catholic faith and started the Protestant church. It's an amazing story. Romans converted him. And so I hope that as we go through Romans over the next few weeks, the next couple of months, uh, we'll be able to get that same, uh, we'll be able to learn and grow together in the same way that some of us here might even be converted to know Jesus and want to live for him. Uh, and and that, that revival will even happen in our own hearts as we unpack Romans. I'm excited. I'm nervous, but it's going to be good. I'm going to pray because I need God's help, and I think we all need God's help to understand Romans. So let's let's pray. Let's get on our knees, actually, and, and pray to God. Um, yeah. Father, we do come before you, knowing you're a good and powerful God, knowing you're a God who has worked uh, throughout history in the lives of so many people um, by your grace, that you've revealed yourself to them in Jesus, and you've shown them um, not only their sin, but their need for the risen Savior. And I do pray, Lord, that you will show us yourself now as well through the book of Romans, through today's talk, as well as we hear from Romans chapter 1, that you'll speak to us by your Spirit, that you'll convict our hearts. Lord, I pray for a revival that starts here, that starts within our own hearts, to know who you are, the greatness and glory, the weight of it uh, in, in the gospel. And so I do pray, Lord, as, as we hear from Romans over the next few months, Lord, that you'll do a great thing in us that you'll do something mighty and powerful. Help us to see us for who we are and help us to see you for who you are. And may we live a life, Lord, that, that aims to glorify you because you're the one worthy of our worship. And we do pray this in your son's name. Amen. 
All right, let's get into it. I want you to humor me for a second, and I'm going to ask you guys a question, and don't be ashamed to put up your hand for this one. Uh, if I was going to ask you if you're an Apple or Mac person, uh, PC or Apple, Mac or, Mac or PC, what would you be? Who's, who here is an Apple fan? Apple fanboy, fangirl? All right. Who here is PC, Android, that sort of stuff? Right. Okay, that's interesting. I'm not going to ask about Linux, 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 because who uses that? Um, but it's funny, right? Because it's really interesting. I mean, that was about 50-50 almost, maybe 40% maybe Apple. But hey, there are two guys I always hang out with at church here, and every time they hang out together, they always argue about this. They always take slight jabs at each other, which product is better, Mac or PC. Uh, one guy wants to argue that Apple products are made with better quality you know, components and less prone to viruses, and the other guy wants to argue how PCs are a lot faster and, and do anything a Mac could do at half the price point. I get it, right? And I'm like, stop fighting, guys. You know, Apple's clearly superior. <laughs> and, uh, and I get it, right? I get the arguments from both sides. Uh, I was converted to Apple about eight years ago uh, when I realized that they really don't break and, uh, and it's amazing how they work. Um, but I understand, right? I understand why they would want to argue about it till, till this day, every time they see each other. It's one of those things that they do. Uh, but it's true, isn't it? Once you're converted to, to the truth, the truth, once you're converted to the truth, you become an evangelist of it, don't you? You want to tell everyone about how great it is, unashamed, right? And to admit that, that you are the guy with the, the overpriced Apple gadgets, right? Isn't, it, isn't that generally true? You know, in, in all of life, once you know, for example, the, the impact of plastic on the environment, you wanna, uh, you'll invest in keep cups and, and water bottles, and you want to go out and tell others about it as well. Uh, once you've played certain, certain games, like, like Among Us, and you want to invest your time into it, don't you, Sam? And you want to tell everyone how great it is because Among Us is amazing, amazing game. You see, when we believe in something, our behavior changes. It's true, isn't it? Our behavior is driven by belief. So for us here, let me ask you, those who believe in Jesus, for us here, let me ask you, if you believe in the gospel and the power of God, how has your behavior changed? Are you unashamed, able to confess that Jesus is your Lord? Are you an evangelist of this good news? Because you believe it to be life-changing, a life-changing message that has impacted you as well. If you're not a Christian and you're here, I'm so glad you are. I'm so glad you're here to learn about God and Jesus. Uh, but the book of Romans will, will so clearly, uh, hopefully, help you uh, see from different angles, reveal to you who God is and what the gospel, what Christianity is really about. My prayer is as you walk through it with us, and, and for everyone in the room, really, that over the next few months, God will reveal himself more and more to you as the letter of Romans sets out the gospel for us. It's a tapestry of grace that I hope you'll, you'll see the big picture together with us as we walk through it. Now, as we start off chapter 1, uh, it's really an introduction, isn't it, to the letter of Romans. It's precisely what the author, uh, Paul, wants us to get, the, 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 uh, the, the gospel unveiled to us. God revealing himself to us. Uh, keep your Bibles open because we're going to unpack these 17 verses, but we're going to see how the gospel has been revealed over history. We're going to see how the gospel has been revealed to all nations and all people, and we're going to see how the gospel reveals the power of God. They're the three things we're going to see in these 17 verses. So verse 1, I'm just going to uh, pick out some verses as we go through it and unpack it. Verse 1, let's read it again. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, 
and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's very uh, introductory, isn't it, in the way that he's uh, writing a letter, he's announcing who he is and uh, who he writes for, Jesus, uh, but it's bursting, I think, with important hints to what the rest of the letter is going to be about. The gospel has been planned out. It's been revealed throughout history so that now he, as an apostle, and they, the church in Rome, who he's writing to, are recipients of it. Let me explain a little bit of context so some of us uh, know what's going on because I think it's important. Paul's writing to a group of Christians uh, he's never met before. They're in the city of Rome. Uh, it's most likely he's in Corinth when he's writing this. And now he's never met this church before. They were formed before he, he's arrived there, before he went to Rome. Uh, the translation here uh, says that he's a, a servant of Christ Jesus, but really that's a, it's better translated as he's a slave because he's, uh, that's how the Greek is translated. He's a slave. He's under the authority of his master, which is who is Jesus. But he also s- says he's called to be an apostle as well. So he's a, a slave and an apostle. And now, apostle is someone who's uh, directly interacted with Jesus. An apostle is someone who's been directly commissioned by Jesus, sent by Jesus, a sent one. That's what an apostle is. Uh, and we've got to define that before we go any further. That's who Paul is. And he's, I guess, writing his credentials. He's a slave and he's an apostle. And so, let me write this letter to you. Let, this is what I need to share with you. Uh, now, what's next? He talks about the gospel. What is, what is the gospel that's been revealed throughout history? Well, if you ever thought about what the gospel actually means, the word itself, well, in Greek, uh, the word is, um, I don't like speaking Greek from here, but euangelion, all right? That's how you say it. It's a word that literally means good news, all right? You, you should, we should, we've, we've heard that before, hopefully, good news. It's where we get words like evangelist from, euangelion, evangelist. You know, it's uh, good news of what has been done. It's not advice. It's not about instructions. It's news. It's a declaration. So when someone asks you, what is the gospel? Well, the answer is, well, it's good news. Good news of what? Good news that Parks and Rec is now streaming on Netflix. Good news that a new cafe has just opened up around the corner. Like, what, what is the good news? Well, the good news is, is this, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior has come. Humanity has been saved from their greatest need, the, the sin of our hearts that separate us from God. We've been forgiven, and by faith now, we've received righteousness so we can stand before God. We can stand in his presence, the presence of our creator. And he, Paul, who writes to the church, he's saying, I'm a herald of that good news. I'm an apostle. I'm, I'm, I've been sent out to share this good news. You see, this good news, though, is something that didn't start with him, and this is what he's trying to say. Many will think the gospel is, is, is the story about Jesus. And yes, while that might be true, uh, the gospel was proclaimed even hundreds and hundreds of years before Paul's time. God was always saying throughout history that he will send a savior. He will send Jesus into the world, the Messiah. So Paul himself, he's, he's writing, he's standing on the shoulders of the prophets before him. That's what he says, uh, the prophets before him. The promise of the gospel, Paul will later explain, was that even uh, was the, the promises of the gospel was there from creation even. We'll hear that in later chapters. It's the unveiling, isn't it, of a grand masterpiece in history. It's the unveiling of a grand uh, tapestry woven uh, where together, you know, the, the threads of grace has been woven into history, the fabric of history. The prophets, they prophesied about this coming Savior. There will be a greater kingdom and a salvation for humankind. The one that was prophesied to be a descendant of King David has come. 
And who is that person? It's Jesus Christ. Paul intentionally uses all these details in just in this opening few verses to help us consider who he is and the God, the promises that God makes for us that have been fulfilled throughout history. The gospel has been revealed long ago. It's now being unveiled. All the threads in history have been unveiled now to us so we can see uh, the big picture. How amazing is that? It's really amazing because I don't know if you know why this is important. The gospel doesn't start then with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Many of us think that because they're the gospels, we think the gospel starts there. But you know what? The gospel is so much more than just the New Testament, which many of us just want to read. The gospel actually starts from the beginning. It starts, it's the whole Bible that tells us about the great news, the good news, the story, the great redemption story of Jesus. It starts from creation. The promises start from creation. Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the center. He's the peak. He's the the core of the redemption story, 100%, yes. But it's accepting that the whole Bible is the the narrative of of the great, the good news, the gospel narrative for us. I want to encourage you to consider that. How has the gospel played out through history? That's what Paul wants us to see in these opening verses. It's, such, it's, it's, it's actually quite amazing because what he's going to do throughout Romans now is he's going to help us see every, how everything fits together. It's like when you, um, when you put on glasses for the first time. You know, the world is blurry around. You put on glasses, everything is just 4K, 4K now. You know, it's just clear. The good news is that Paul is, is the apostle that's been commissioned to declare that glory. Jesus has come. The gospel has been revealed. Now it's shown in its fullness. But secondly, what Paul wants the church to know too is the gospel has been revealed not just to Israel, which is God's Old Testament people, but it's for the Gentiles too. Now the Gentiles are those who aren't Israel, essentially. Their national identity is not Israel. They don't have Jewish ancestry. Let me read uh, a few verses from the following section. Verse 5 says, Through him, Jesus, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you're also among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Verse 7, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And so then uh, there's a few verses where he shares his heart, how he's been praying for them. And then down to verse 13, if you're following, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that the gospel is revealed not just to God's people, Israel, but now to all nations as well. The message of Christ crucified and salvation from sin is a message that Paul's been commissioned to, to, to do. He's been sent out to do. This is big because Paul himself he was from Israel. If you know anything about Paul, he was a Jewish leader of his day before he became a Christian. And Paul would only hang with his own tribe. But the gospel impacted him so much. He was converted by Jesus himself uh, to know truth. You can read about this in Acts chapter 8, how Acts chapter 8 and 9, how Paul was converted. Uh, and he became an evangelist of the gospel. He became a, a missionary of the gospel. Someone who wanted to tell the entire world, even the Gentiles, about the good news. Great news that salvation has come, right? And so that's what we see in these opening verses. Paul has this transformation. He wants people that, to know that his life isn't orbiting around him anymore. His good works or his obedience to God, his, his Jewish leadership, like that's you know, where he comes from. He's not talking about that anymore. He wants people to know about Jesus. 
and the faith-fueled obedience towards Jesus that we're all called to have if we follow Jesus. He wants everyone to know the gospel. And that's his obligation. That's his obedience to God, he says. He can't keep this good news to himself. He has to tell all the nations it's not about him. It's about the risen Lord Jesus. Let's realize the beauty of this for us because most of us wouldn't, wouldn't identify as Jewish, would we? Most of us here in the room. You might have some ancestor who was, perhaps, but most of us would fall in the Gentile camp where are people whose national identity isn't Israel. But Paul is saying the promises from the Old Testament, the stuff about the, the laws of Moses and the prophets too, uh, they're promises that extend now to you and I. They're promises that, that mean that we get to be included in God's people now. Up, up until Jesus, knowing and worshipping God was reserved just for Israel. It's now for all nations. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, opened the way for all nations to be part of God's promises. And we're going to be uh, spending a lot of time in those coming ideas about you know, national identity, Israel and Gentiles, what that's going to look like in, in coming chapters. But for now, we can stop and appreciate, can't we? God's promises uh, are for us as well, for he, us here today. Paul was so eager to bring the gospel. That's the words that are used here. I was so eager to bring the gospel to you, to Greeks and non-Greeks, wise and foolish, and preach the message. And he does it for our sake, their sake and our sake. How did he not? Have you ever thought about it? Had he not done this, would the message ever reach us? Had he not done it, had, had the, if the message would have just stayed in the Middle East. This is really interesting. I don't know if you ever thought about this. Sure, God could have used other ways and commissioned other people, but Paul was the one he commissioned. He was the messenger, and Paul, in his courage, went out and told people about Jesus so that the gospel could spread outside of the Middle East. Because 2,000 years later, guess what? We're here today. The church is here in Australia. It's here in Brisbane. It's here in Sunny Bay. The gospel has reached you and I today because of people in history like Paul who was courageous to bring the good news to others because his life wasn't about him. It was about the good news that convicted him. How crazy is that to consider? God's plan and providence means that uh, the knowledge of him, the plan of salvation in Jesus has spread across history and across all nations and revealed now to you and I here in Sunny Bank in 2021. What a mind trip, hey? Consider how far the good news of Jesus has come. But consider what kind of power caused someone like Paul, who was once a Jewish leader, who ordered Christians to be killed, to be a changed and transformed man. Let's consider that for a minute. Someone whose behavior has changed. From verse 16, it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The gospel has been revealed throughout history. It's revealed to all people, but most importantly, it reveals the power of God that brings salvation. You see, when we think about the power of God, what do you imagine? If I was to ask you, when you tell me what the power of God means to you. Most of us would think, oh, the power of God, the, the power that God can create the skies and the seas, the power that he can create the mountains and the valleys, you know, the thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. You might think of that power of God, the power of God that it can heal, perhaps, heal and take away leprosy, uh, that it can make a lame man walk again. You might think of that power of God when you think of the power of God, the power to heal of us of our infirmities. Now, while God does show uh, his power in all those things, in creation and healing and all that sort of stuff, uh, have we ever considered, like Paul does here, that the power of God is shown most majestically and mightily through the salvation of humankind? The power of God is shown through salvation. 
that can save a human soul and transform the human heart. The power to bestow upon a human being the, the status of righteousness and take away their unrighteousness. To restore us back to God and grant us eternal life. Have we ever thought about that power of God? Yeah, while creating the world out of nothing is pretty powerful. Paul wants us to express here there's power when the gospel is revealed. And forgiveness, salvation, and transformation comes to the man or woman who puts their faith in God. That's power. And he's so firm on this truth that he says he's unashamed of the gospel. Now, why would he have to say that? Why would he be ashamed of the gospel? Well, why are we ashamed of the gospel? You know, usually someone would say they're ashamed of something, right? Because they, uh, they know it won't be received well. You share something with someone and you're like, oh, I'm ashamed to tell you this. I'm a bit scared to tell you this. I'm not sure how you're going to respond to this. Uh, we, we say this because we're, we feel a little bit embarrassed, right? When you want to share something and you say, oh, I'm a bit ashamed to tell you. It's like, uh, for example, saying, I'm a bit ashamed to tell you this, but um, I do wear Crocs. And, you know, because you're, you're, you're afraid of what they'll think about you. Oh, Crocs, oh, cool. Now, don't be ashamed if you do. Um, wear them proudly. I can understand the appeal. But here's the thing. Why would Paul need to say this? Why would he need to say, I'm unashamed of the gospel? Well, think about who he's bringing the message of the gospel to. Think about the ancient world, the Middle East, the Roman Empire, to the Jews, okay? To the Jews, his, his, his tribe that he used to be part of, the religious people, the gospel would have been offensive. It was a message that Jesus had to die for you, that none of your obedience to the law was enough. You're not morally better than, other, than anyone else. You need Jesus to die on your behalf. Think about how offensive that would sound to them. To, to anyone who is morally uh, think, thinking that mor- morality will save them. I mean, the Jews were hoping for, a God, for God to show his power by coming down, bringing a, a pillar of fire, something supernatural, a warrior king to defeat their enemies. But Jesus, the man who died on a cross. Or imagine the Greeks, or the non-Greeks, the Gentiles who might read this, where, where power during that time is seen in wisdom and philosophy. Right? That's what they would do, spend their time doing thinking, uh, thinking through these things. And, 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 and this is where the whole idea of the strong and, and power over the weak came about. This is what strength looks like. And so you've got the Greek gods. You think about Zeus and all those, you know, the, the gods that they worshipped is all about power. That's what power looked like. Power to command and conquer. It was the age of empires. But the idea that salvation and power is seen in the dead Son of God on the cross. Paul is unashamed to tell him that. This message would have been offensive. It would have been, it would have been shameful for him to come forward and tell people that. He would have felt it, but he's unashamed of it. Let me give you another illustration that might be closer to home. Uh, so I'm assuming you guys read Harry Potter, right? Imagine if you went to Hogwarts, right? And then you've got the Hogwarts schools, you know, it's the houses, if you're part of you, school, you have houses, right? And so at Hogwarts, the school of wizardry, um, what, school, what house would you be ashamed to be in? Oh, really? <laughs> We'd all, you know, you know what I was going for with that one. I think most of us would be ashamed to tell people that we'd be in Slytherin, right? I mean, if the sorting hat told me I'm going to go to Slytherin, I'd be ashamed. Uh, some of you have done those quizzes online, you know, the surveys fill out these questions, know what house you're in, Hogwarts. I'm sure you wouldn't want to tell people if you got Slytherin on that, right? 
But let's take this a bit further. Let's take this a little bit further. If, you've, um, if you know Hogwarts and you know this whole world of Harry Potter, you'll know that each house, the four houses, have, are represented by an animal. Right? So Gryffindor is represented by a lion. Ravenclaw has an eagle. Slytherin, a snake. And Hufflepuff, which is one that everyone forgets, it's a badger. Now, I had to look that one up, but they all seem like mighty creatures, except the badger, perhaps. But, you know, the badger has claws and can bite you. Um, but imagine, all right, so these got, you've got these powerful animals that represent each house. Imagine if there was a fifth house. And I'm not going to be very original here, but the house was House Jesus, okay? What would be the animal that represents that house? Could be a dove. But I, I thought it would probably be a lamb. A little fragile lamb. A dead, sacrificial lamb. A lamb that doesn't come with strength and power as our world would see it, but a lamb that comes with the power of God that changes hearts. You see, Paul doesn't care how the world sees the Christian faith. Paul is unashamed of it because it is the power of God that brings salvation to humanity. It's the good news that everyone needs for those who are religious and relying on their good works, hoping that it'll earn their, their salvation in heaven. Jesus has accomplished that on your behalf because we're never going to achieve that on our own, by our own merits. It's for those who are waiting for a Savior that will bring justice and truth and freedom to our broken world. It's for those waiting for that mighty ruler who is more powerful than our, our earthly kings and reigns over even the spiritual realm, victorious over the sin that so entangles us. This is the Christ that Paul preaches about. This is the power of the gospel, the power of God that's been revealed throughout history, that's been revealed in salvation, the righteousness received by faith. For Paul, yeah, and for us too, the haters will keep on hating, okay? But it won't stop Paul from unashamedly bringing the message to everyone everywhere that the power of God has been revealed. Yet while the gospel and power of God in salvation is revealed to and for everyone, he puts a limit on it, doesn't he? It's for everyone who believes. It's a righteousness given to us. Yes, it's gifted to us by grace, but it's by faith in that grace. From first to last, which just means faith, um, it's continued by faith in the grace of God. It's not by our merit. It's not by our goodness. It's not faith plus do a huge list of all these works to reach a quota. No, Jesus' righteousness is enough. It means it's done. We are now the whole human. We are now complete because of Jesus. Paul in verse 5 says where uh, he calls the Romans holy people now, no longer sinners, holy people, saints essentially. We are sinners in this world. We'll keep struggling with sin, but before God, we're going to be saints that's what righteousness means. We're right before God. We get to be in his, uh, in, his, in his presence. Let me be clear about that. Yes, your sins have been forgiven, but you're not left as a clean canvas. You're not left in neutrality, right? God actually has put the whole tapestry together. You and I, we've been gifted with righteousness, so we're not just neutral. Uh, the most vivid image I can give you is that if we were on death row, being punished for a crime, think like the electric chair or something, that's where we're going, um, yeah, medieval, you might be burnt at the stake, but imagine now, Jesus takes your place. You can imagine it, can't you? He takes your place. He goes onto death row for you. You've been freed. And Jesus does the time. He takes the execution for you, and now you're out of danger. Jesus, now that you're out of danger, Jesus just doesn't 
leave you out to, to figure it out on your own, does he? The reality is, if it was up to us, we'd just be really another delinquent back in the system, back on death row in a few months' time. But it's so much more than that. Not only does he take the death for us, he gives us a new status. He gives us a new identity. We're a new people, a new inheritance. We've gone from death row, now we've been crowned. We now get to be part of the royal family, God's family. That's our new status. That's what God has given to us. That's what righteousness means. Received and continued by faith in God who granted that to us through Jesus. The righteous will live by faith and faith alone in him and the complete work done on the cross. A message that we all need to hear. A message for the immoral and the moral. We can't save ourselves, but we can have and put our faith in Jesus and his perfect righteousness on our behalf. Friends, is this the truth you live by? How does this belief shape your behavior? If you do know and believe it, will there be a faith-fueled obedience because there is no greater good news to live for, no greater gospel? You see, the good news isn't about being wealthy and having a career like, like whatever it might be that's going to give you salvation, being that wealthy doctor or investment banker or lawyer, whatever it might be that you think will give you salvation. The good news isn't that money or early retirement will bring you eternal life. The good news isn't that a perfect marriage even to a husband or wife will restore you back to your creator God. There is no perfect marriage. The good news is that being famous or popular will, will somehow grant you VIP entrance into God's, God's home. You know what the good news is, though? It's this. God in his mercy and grace throughout history has fulfilled his promise to bring salvation to a broken and hopeless humanity through death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. The good news is when we put our faith in Jesus, in who he is and what he's accomplished for us, we get righteousness. That's the good news. That's the gospel. We get to have and be with God. And so it's through that lens now that we see and shape our lives. Everything we do, the way we see our career, the way we see our homes, our finances, our relationships, our families even, it all orbits around Jesus because the gospel of Jesus is the greater narrative for our lives. It's the greater story of our lives. And we can see that in Paul's very life, can't we? And the second thing that we can see in, in, in this, that we can glean from it and, and we can apply in our own lives, is actually what we learn from Paul's heart for people. He's so sold on Christ, isn't he? All he wants to do is tell people about the gospel. He's so confident in God's power that God will be the one that changes hearts. He's just the, the messenger for it. He's so unashamed of the gospel that has the gospel because he knows the gospel has the power to change, has the power to change your life and my life and the lives of those around us. Not only to change, but save our lives. Think about the lives around you in our world today. What are they living for? Who are they, where, where are they heading in this life? You know, I, we've got maybe, what, 80, 90 years in this, in, on this earth, right? Some of us don't get to live that long. This last year, the pandemic has taken so many lives, and, and many of them didn't get to live a long life. But this is what our secular world will tell us, that this is all that there is. That we're just a bunch of atoms, after all, here by chance, to make the most of what we have, and that's it. And so we give our, our purposeless existence purpose, don't we? And the world will say, let's fight, for, let's fight for justice, for the oppressed, which is good, we should. Let's try to save the environment for future generations, something we should do. And we hear this phrase that's been really promoted a lot by millennials, our purpose is to leave the world a little better than how we found it. 
And sure, that's a feel-good, other-centered mantra to live by. But you know what could happen tomorrow? A new plague or virus comes. And no matter how much you do, the world still goes to crap. Make the most of this life and do good, but there's still going to be poverty. They're still going to, because there's still selfishness, because there's still greed that exists. And while our secular prog progressive world wants this paradise, it's an unrealistic paradise because it comes at a cost where freedoms are denied and voices that don't fit the narrative are silenced, where if your opinion differs, you're cancelled. What if God had a greater story for humanity than what our limited minds can make of with this world? What if his story was his plan of salvation that stretched into eternity and our lives are just short blips on his timeline? But a short blip that doesn't need to be wasted, that doesn't need to be miserable or meaningless, but one where we can be part of his greater narrative, his greater story, where surprise, it's not actually about you. It's not about me, but a life of faithful obedience to the gospel, to Jesus, the one who saves us. Look at Paul. It's not about him. It's all about Jesus. It's about the gospel that saves others into eternity. This life is short. Man, the things we get caught up in our everyday, they're fading day by day. Nothing lasts. It's just a shadow. Here one moment, gone the next. The world is changing day by day. But there's good news that every generation needs to hear there's good news that our lives can be shaped by, a firm foundation, a solid ground which we can live by. It's the gospel. And I know there are people right now, here today, who don't yet have a, a real, living, and vibrant relationship with Jesus. I really want to encourage you to look into this deeply. I am praying that like, like it was for me and many others here, that your eyes will be opened, that your hearts will, will see the good news, the gospel will be revealed to you that you'll see the good news is more than just good advice. The gospel is not just a, a guidebook on how to live like good people. That's not the gospel. The good news is Jesus has died for you and gifted you with righteousness secured by faith. I want to I encourage, I want to implore you. I, I, I really, I don't believe life is found anywhere else except through faith in Jesus as your Savior. It's only in Him alone that you'll be able to truly know God, your Creator, enjoy a wholeness, a fullness, a satisfaction in this life, as well as a deep purpose for the life to come. Now, if this is the truth, if you believe this truth, if you believe the good news, what will it take you to be an evangelist of it, to tell others about it? There are, there are people out there who are you know, there are people out there who are evangelists for air fryers. They just love telling their friends, oh, I've got an air fryer, you should get one too. It's funny because um, they'll tell you it's the best appliance on their kitchen bench, hands down, right? And, and I've, oh man, I've actually felt lesser around them sometimes. Like, man, I need to get one of these. But you know what? There is better good news. Better good news than air fryers. There's good news that needs to be told. Paul is so eager to tell the good news of Jesus to all nations. Does eagerness describe how we feel, our desire to be eager to tell people around us who don't know him? You see, the, the secular narrative that this is all that there is, just make the most of it and just hope that the days will be good to you. Man, isn't that just a little naive, a little shallow even? It's like the bling empire, shallow. Don't you want to tell them where life is really found? Preach the gospel, friends. 
Tell them about the crucified lamb unashamedly. Tell them about his strength and power that's seen in, in not, in, not in riches and royalty and fame, but the power that can save the human soul. The good news story that they too can join and be included in God's grand redemption story into eternity. My question is, what is stopping us? What is stopping you? The other night I asked my missional community this very question, and one of the guys said, well, I have this fear that they'll think I'm a weirdo. And that's totally legitimate. I, I felt that way too at times. Perhaps, though, while that fear might be real, especially in our world today, maybe our fears and our shame need to be challenged. I mean, that's what I'm here to, to challenge you. The first thing we need to consider is what we know and believe about God. Perhaps we don't have a big enough view of God, big enough view of His power, and there's this disconnect. The reason why we feel that fear and shame is perhaps because of our unbelief of who God is. Just maybe we haven't quite got a grip of how great the salvation is that Jesus has secured for us. Maybe, just maybe, we don't realize how great our sin is that needed saving. Maybe we don't really realize the gravity of our sin, the magnitude of salvation. And if, if we truly did believe in the power of God that can save souls, wouldn't we, like Paul, be so unashamed of the gospel? Because it's not about us. Our words, our courage, that, well, that won't save someone. It's going to be the power of God that can Maybe we need to believe that God can save us, that God is powerful, and we can find confidence in that. But secondly, how else can we overcome this fear and shame of what people think about us when we want to share about Jesus? I get it. We get dismissed instantly. As soon as you mention anything about Christianity, you get dismissed. I once asked someone to go to church, and they looked at me funny, and they're like, mm, not for me. And it's just, I fully had to back off, Right? But do we believe that others need this message as much as we do? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Why do we have fear? Maybe we don't actually think about the other person that we're talking to. We think about the surface, yeah, on the surface. They look happy. On social media, they're having a blast. They're at the beach, they're at the gym, they're at the clubs, they're, they're having brunch. I mean, that's all I see on Instagram. That's the good life, isn't it? That's what we share with everyone, brunch and the beach. And so we think they've got their life together. They, don't, they won't want to hear about Jesus. I won't even bother. But what if we saw them as God sees them? Lost. Facing a joyless eternity without him. You see, Paul overcomes that shame because he knows the world desperately needs Jesus. Do we? And if we did, wouldn't we do whatever it takes to bring salvation to others? Wouldn't we do whatever it takes, even if it was slightly embarrassing and shameful? Let me illustrate it for you. Remember the bushfires at the end of 2019, right? The bushfires is all over the news. Uh, do you remember that a lot of wildlife died? Like a lot of koalas, there was heaps of things about koalas. It was really sad, so people were leaving water out for them and everything. There was a viral video, that, a video that went viral of a woman who saw a, a koala. Do you remember this one? She took off, literally, she took off her top to rescue and wrap this koala that was burnt by the fires. And you can see the video. This lady, she's standing there in her underwear, right? But it didn't matter. No shame. There's a koala in need of help. I imagine us, all of us here, we would, do the sh we would do the same. No shame. I'd take my pants off and be filmed on video if I could save a koala. For sure. Isn't that what we'd do? A, a bus is coming right at your friend. He's going to die if you don't do something. But you're too far away to, to push him out of the way. So what do you do? You do whatever it takes to get their attention. Right? You might take off your shoe. You might throw it at them. It might mean that you take your shirt off and you start swinging it around the air and screaming like a madman to get their attention. It might be embarrassing. 
<laughs> you might look like a weirdo. But will you really be ashamed of it if you know that it could potentially save their life? You'll overcome shame in the gospel when you believe there's a greater need that even if you looked stupid, people thought you were a weirdo or you're going against the grain of culture, it'll still be worth it because you believe that the gospel saves lives. You know, I want to I finish soon. Consider, though, how the gospel has been revealed to you. Dig through the scriptures. See the fulfillment of the gospel in Jesus. See how the good news has come to you and how your life has been changed. How you now have this sense of security and joy and purpose and freedom that you once didn't have. And when that sinks deep, when the gospel soaks your heart, may you and I be unashamed of the gospel, friends. Because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about the good news that you and I need and the message our world so desperately needs to hear. If this gospel is something you do believe, something you live by, and believe it's, and believe it's worthy to be preached to all nations, let me encourage you to, to go do it. To find your support here at this church, to go together, be, to be missionaries out in our world. Because this is the good news that you and I have, that we get to embrace and that we get to live by too.